Speaking, a monthly podcast on the spoken word. Episode number 38, March 2021. The Curious Affair of the Glottal Stop and the Schwa. Hi, Paul Meyer here. Welcome. First, since this podcast is all about phonetics, I would normally reference the interactive IPA charts that have been freely available on paulmeyer.com for 20 years. But you may have noticed they're missing. This is because my partner, Eric Armstrong, and I built them on Flash technology, which is no longer supported. So these charts, like every other application in the world that runs on Flash, simply don't work anymore. We're working on a promising way around this and hope to have them back online soon. Meanwhile, the good news is that the page is still there on the menu bar with links to the iTunes and Android apps I created with virtually the same content. We created those in anticipation of the demise of Flash. I'm so glad we did. Now, on with the show. First up today, guess that accent. Number 23 in the quiz. How have you been faring? Let me know if you want easier or more difficult dialect samples. Last time I played this clip and challenged you to say where on the planet the speaker grew up. I didn't speak English very well. I had to learn the conversation and how to do a conversation with people. I took some classes in college. I started speaking to people. I got a job as a cashier. So I had to learn how to deal with people and how to talk to them and how to start a conversation with them in English. And that's how I learned English, uh, under pressure, actually. If you guessed Syria, congratulations. It was Ideas Syria 3. Contributed by Marina Bergenstock in 2016. Thank you again, Marina. To hear the whole recording, go to the Syria page of the Middle East Collection at dialectsarchive.com. Now, here's this month's challenge. Where did this speaker spend his formative years? The background of me learning English is, is from school, starting, I think, 12 years old and going to regular courses in elementary school and then uh, secondary school after that. I think two years out of four years of secondary school I learned English. I, I, I never found it very hard. It took me a while to get it. But uh, I, then I'm not talking about the vocabulary because the vocabulary is still my problem. Eh? Get the answer next time on In a Manner of Speaking. Thanks to all who wrote me about last month's podcast on Polari the lost secret language of British gay men. I'm always thrilled to get your comments. Just email me at paul at paulmeyer.com. Suggestions for future topics or guests will be welcome too. This month I sail alone, a solo voyage, no guest. If you're a regular listener to this podcast, you know that while passionate about all aspects of the spoken word, I'm completely obsessed by the sounds of language. So I thought for those who share this obsession, I'd devote a solo podcast to that realm from time to time. Today, the curious affair of the glottal stop and the schwa. Let's meet the main characters in this rather sad but ultimately inspiring story. So what in the world is a glottal stop? Doesn't sound too attractive a character, does it? Glottal stop... Not someone you'd expect to have a winning smile or be the life and soul of the party. Well, a glottal stop is that little explosion you feel in your throat when you say, uh-huh, uh-uh, uh-oh, 
or you warn your young child away from the sharp knife? Ah, ah, ah. Or when native Hawaiians say Hawaii or Ele Ele, which is Hawaiian for black. Or a Londoner orders a pint of bitter in the pub. Or a Scot, talking about whiskey, says, There's not a lot at the bottom of the bottle. Or an American says, Martin wrote eight sentences. Or Maoris refer to Waine, which is their word for woman. We'll hear glottal stops in every language, I would venture. They're citizens of the world. In English, it's one of the most frequently used sounds, and in every English dialect. Yet it lacks a letter equivalent, so travels incognito. Isn't that odd? Even in a sentence composed entirely of vowel-initial words, where this character is a very common guest, or intruder, depending on how you feel about it, speakers may be entirely unaware that they've even used it. Listen. An accident at 8th Avenue and Elm occurred around 8 a.m. You hear all these mini-explosions? An accident at 8th Avenue and Elm occurred around 11 a.m. Every word begins with a vowel, and I used a glottal in all of those positions. But if I speak that sentence without glottals, you'll hear something quite different. An accident at 8th Avenue and Elm occurred around 11 a.m. It's smoother, isn't it? Legato, rather than staccato. A very different effect. The glottal stop is the black sheep of the family. And that family of consonants is called plosives. We make plosives by completely stopping the airflow somewhere in the vocal tract for a fraction of a second and then releasing that trapped air in a tiny explosion. In the case of the glottal stop, the part of the larynx called the glottis, G-L-O-T-T-I-S, where the vocal cords themselves live, is where this stop-and-release event occurs. You have no difficulty recognising the six plosives of English that do have letter equivalents. P, B, T, D, K and G are always represented in spelling. Not always by the same letter, of course. The sound k can be variously represented, as in cat with a c, quick with a q and a ck, choir with a ch, kitchen with a k and a tch. But the seventh plosive, our glottal stop, travels without papers. No letter to even acknowledge its existence, poor little guy. But why, if it's so commonly used, is there no letter for this sound in English? Well, I, I suppose it's because alphabets, uh, writing systems with a symbol representing each phoneme, tend to use symbols only for sounds that are phonologically meaningful in that language. For instance, in English we need both V and W letters, so we can distinguish vest from west although there are many languages without the VW contrast. But I don't change the meaning of the word sentence if I pronounce it sentence using a glottal instead of a t. And whether I pronounce the name Martin as Martin or Martin, 
it's still the same name. The glottal doesn't change Martin to Mary. And whether I say reaction with a glottal instead of reaction without one, the meaning stays the same. So unlike some other languages where a glottal can determine a word's meaning and therefore need a symbol for it, English writing doesn't. But the International Phonetic Alphabet, of course, needs one, since the IPA's entire purpose is to provide a symbol for every speech sound used to distinguish one word from another and in every language. The founders of the IPA back in the 1880s chose a modified question mark to represent the glottal stop. A question mark. Serving to further heighten its already questionable character. But it's a perfectly respectable speech sound in lots of languages. Malay, Hawaiian, Samoan. In that language family, they call the glottal stop the okina, I found out. Hebrew, Cyrillic, and many others do have a letter for the glottal, or a special extra way of indicating it in spelling. To that point, here's an interesting story. It concerns two indigenous Canadian women in the Northwest Territories who speak Chippewyan and Slavey, two of the eleven official languages there. Their alphabets use the question mark to represent the glottal stop that's vital to the names of their two daughters. They challenged the territorial government, who didn't allow them to spell the children's names correctly on their birth certificates. You may use only Roman letters, they said. No glottal stop. The children's names are Sahaya and Sakaa. I hope my pronunciation isn't too far off. But as you can hear, the two names absolutely require the glottal stop. I haven't checked it out exhaustively, but without the glottal stops, those two names would apparently be indistinguishable on paper. If you are more familiar with those languages than I am, you could add to this conversation. Let me hear from you. Most English dictionaries, when indicating pronunciation, usually offer no clue as to this sound's existence. And English-speaking professional speakers and their trainers are often a little sniffy about the poor old glottal stop. Although pop singers and beatboxers use it all the time, classical singers and their coaches are often downright dismissive of it, thinking it bad for vocal health and spoiling the smooth legato style they think is more pleasing. Here's a little of Maria Callas singing Summertime, followed by an amazing 13-year-old Filipino beatboxer. No glottals at all from Maria. In fact, she rides on the vowels, scarcely allowing consonants to interrupt that beautiful flowing voice at all. But the young beatboxer gives us glottals aplenty, and all manner of dramatic percussive stops and other consonants in general. Listen.
They're both great, aren't they? But in completely different ways. I don't coach singers, only spoken word practitioners. And I have a soft spot for the glottal in speech. I must confess, it can be very useful, I feel, if used judiciously. It's a fabulous helper for emphasis, or to set important words in relief, or for dramatic attack. What on earth, for example? But because it doesn't have a letter equivalent in our everyday alphabet, people often don't even know they've used it. So for those who make a living from speaking, gaining conscious control of it is important, but quite difficult. Can you count the number of glottals I use in the following? All the world's a stage, and all the men and women merely players. They have their exits and their entrances, and one man in his time plays many parts, his acts being seven ages. How many did you count? Did you hear them at all? Listen again. All the world's a stage, and all the men and women merely players. They have their exits and their entrances, and one man in his time plays many parts, his acts being seven ages. So what did I say? I said their exits, their entrances, his acts, and seven ages rather than the legato style, their exits, their entrances, his acts, and seven ages. So the answer is four glottals. But to glottally attack all eleven vowel initial words in those few lines of Jaquies might be too staccato, and perhaps less pleasing, breaking up the flow of ideas too much, perhaps. So I suggest to the professional speakers I coach that a glottal stop is a good servant, but a bad master. Here it is with all eleven possible glottals instead of just four. All the world's a stage, and all the men and women merely players. They have their exits and their entrances, and one man in his time plays many parts, his acts being seven ages. So which version do you find most pleasing? Could you easily control your use of glottal stops? deciding where you want to use them. So now that your ear is tuned to this sound, you might also start to hear the glottal used instead of a final T in words like sit, part, fat, particularly before silence. We all do it from time to time, saying sit, part, fat, instead of sit, part, fat. It's not just reprehensible, lazy speakers. Everyone does it when the occasion calls for it. You heard me close off the airflow without then subsequently releasing it. Sit. Part. Fat. So, no mini-explosion, just an unreleased glottal stop. If you heard someone say, Jeet yet? Meaning, did you eat yet? They would have used an unreleased glottal stop twice. And some English dialects, like Geordie, Newcastle in northeast England, use glottal reinforcement for the p and k sounds, as well as for the t sound. 
You might hear them say, uh, are you feeling happy? Or where are you walking? What you're hearing in happy is a plosive whose stop stage is a p, but whose release stage is a glottal. And in walk-in, you hear that the stop stage of the plosive is k, while the release stage is a glottal. You'll appreciate that I didn't say happy, but happy. And I didn't say walk-in, but walk-in. Geordies would also say water, not water, like Cockney's, but water. It's one of the hardest speech sounds to coach non-Geordies to do. Now for the story's co-star, the schwa. Schwa. S-C-H-W-A. It's from the Hebrew schwa, S-H-V-A. The name of the diacritical mark used to indicate that phoneme in Hebrew. Unlike the glottal stop, a consonant, schwa is a vowel. But like the glottal stop, the schwa also lacks a letter to represent it in the English alphabet, even though it's the vowel native English speakers use most by far. It too travels without papers. And to add insult to injury, its name, schwa, means emptiness. (laughs) Imagine, uh, allow me to introduce my friend, nothing. A schwa can be used to realize any of our more familiar vowel letters, A, E, I, O, or U, or vowel combinations. Schwa is the vowel you hear twice in animal, animal, in the second and third syllables, instead of the I and the A. We don't say animal, but in those two unstressed syllables, we use this rather shy and retiring non-committal vowel. Uh, you'll hear it in almost every polysyllabic word, and the more syllables, the likelier it is to hear it multiple times. In political, you'll hear it three times, replacing the O, the second I, and the A. Political. Instead of political. Particular. Particular. I've used it three times, replacing the two AR syllables giving us uh, R-coloured schwas in rhotic accents, and a U. Particular. Particular. How about uh, perpendicular? Perpendicular. Four schwas. Replacing the E-R, the A-R, the E, and the U. You hear it in place of the O-U, in enormous we don't say enormous, but enormous. Schwa is the inscrutable guest in many single-syllable English words, too, when they're unstressed. The strong form of was in she was there becomes the so-called weak form. Another insult to schwa was in she was there. The strong form of of in what of it becomes the weak form of, in, what of it. As becomes, as, in, light as a feather. The indefinite article, a, though its name is a, is nearly always pronounced as a schwa, a dream, a life, 
a box of chocolates. In some Englishes, uh, New Zealanders, for example, use schwa in stressed words and syllables too. Famously, they say fish and chips instead of fish and chips. They might also say invisible, invisible, using three or four schwas. There's a natural love affair between schwa and glottal, it seems, hence the title of our podcast. In fact, you can't even make an audible glottal without a vowel before it or after it. And schwa is the natural vowel to choose to allow the glottal to be heard at all. In ha that laconic substitute for no, a schwa is nested each side of a glottal. Very cosy. You want a cup of coffee? Three schwas. Uh-uh. Two schwas and a glottal. Again, among, across, in countless situations like back again, living among, coming across. The schwa with the glottal, if needed as the extra springboard for extra lift, make their entrance hand in hand. Yet the existence of this loving couple is hardly acknowledged by English speakers, except by phoneticians, of course. They represent the glottal with the question mark, as I've said, and the schwa by an upside-down lowercase e. Many of my clients, whose first language may not be English, but who want to improve their English pronunciation, are also completely unaware of the schwa, which might be used far less in their own first language. They might use all pure vowels. I'm not impugning schwa as impure, of course. When they say animal, solution, para paradoxical, mechanical, because that's how it's done in their own first language, especially if theirs is a syllable-timed rather than a stress-timed language like English. And since there's no letter representing schwa in written English, they have no clue, these clients of mine, when reading English, that schwa is absolutely required. Schwas outnumber all the so-called pure vowels five to one, I would guess, or even more. They're hugely important for learners of English pronunciation, yet those students of English are often reluctant at first when I tell them that it's a requirement and it's perfectly correct. They want to be clear, exact, precise, and they think they won't be if they use such a casual, neutral speech sound. Sometimes we call the schwa the neutral. But when they do take this concept on board and welcome the schwa into their lives, they immediately double their score for nativeness. It's almost miraculous. You hear that? Miraculous. Four vowels, but three of them must be schwa's if you want to get it right. Miraculous. Of course, if I take more time in my pronunciation, speak more carefully, the more likely I am to say miraculous, using just two schwa's. There are many other sounds that make uncredited appearances in speech, no letter to represent them. But today it's been the curious affair of the glottal stump and the schwa. Hear them working very energetically together in Katy Perry's Roar, our play-out music this time, instead of our usual Bach. Sorry, Johan. Thanks for joining me, Paul Meyer. Please don't forget to follow Paul Meyer Dialect Services on Facebook and me on Twitter at Dialect Paul. And if you'd like to explore the schwa in even more detail, why not tune in to Eric Armstrong's and Phil Thompson's excellent Glossonomia podcasts. 
See the page on paulmeyer.com devoted to this podcast for links to glossonomia. Both Professors Armstrong and Thompson have been guests on In a Manner of Speaking. Thanks again, guys. And if you look on paulmeyer.com under Free Services on the menu tab, you'll see some pronunciation lessons, both audio and video. I have an audio lesson there called The Ubiquitous Schwa that you might also enjoy. The Clips from Roar by Katy Perry, Maria Callas singing Summertime, and the Filipino beatboxer, whose name is Relzadek. These clips are used under the copyright doctrine of fair use. My guest next month is my old friend Joanna Kasdan. We'll be talking about the fascinating field of voice and speech disorders, and perhaps the mystery of how humans acquire speech in the first place. See you next time in A Manner of Speaking.